0: uh, our, our new series, and we called it What the World Needs Now. And how many of you know our world is broke? Yeah, yeah. Something is, is messed up with it. Something's not right because it's not the way God intended for it to be. And the world needs something. And so we've been talking about, last week we started off talking about the problems that we've experienced in our world since the earliest part of, of uh, time in, in the history of man, and that there has been a, a, a bent or a, a, uh, a movement in the heart of man toward tyranny. The strong forcing the weak to comply to their wishes. We see it in history, throughout history. Uh, it's, it's always been there. And the reason for the chaos and the confusion in our world uh, as nations are thirsting for power and For domination over others is due to what I believe to be mankind's inability to grasp what is his true purpose here on earth. There's an answer for us, but it can only be found when we discover the answer to the questions how did we get here? What was our beginning? And what is our reason for being here? What's our purpose? How did we get here, and what's our purpose? I think those are important questions because they help to identify who we are, who we're supposed to be. There's only one qualified source uh, that provides us with the answers to those questions. It isn't Siri or Alexa or Google. And you can find out pretty much anything you want to find out. Whether it's true or not, you can still find it out. They'll have an answer for you. But this is one place where they have to draw the line because they really don't know what the answer is. They don't believe necessarily what we believe. The answers are where they've been for ages, and they are in this book here that most of us, hopefully all of us, have read. It's called the Bible. This book is still relevant. This book still has answers for the most complex questions. It's here, in this book, right here. And I thank God that we can find what we really need to help our lives become what it really needs to become in this book, in that pages of that precious book of God. It contains the story of our origin as well as our purpose for being here. It tells us how we got started. It tells us why we're supposed to be here. Last week we went to Genesis to begin our search to answer these questions. We found our origin within the unfolding of the story of God's recreation of the world and his filling it with plant life and then animal life of all kinds. But when God created man... He had a special purpose in mind for him. and In Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 15, it told us that God wanted the man to dress the garden and to keep it. Man's responsibility, part of his purpose, was to dress the garden, the Garden of Eden, and to keep it. And we looked up the, that word for to dress and it was that he was to till the ground to serve as a sort of groundskeeper for the garden where God had placed him. That's the first part of his purpose. The first part of his purpose. The second part of Adam's job description stated that not only was he expected to dress the garden, but he would also be responsible for keeping it. Dress the garden and to keep it. The word used here for keep was the Hebrew word shamar, and it means to guard, to protect, and to attend to. To guard, to protect, and to attend to. So in essence, the second part of man's purpose for being in the garden was for security measures. While that would have included the plant life within the garden, it was not solely aimed at that because there was also going to be animals that were going to be a part of this garden of paradise. Therefore, they would be included within Adam's domain and therefore also under this directive given by God to man himself. So this second point of Adam's job description, it expanded to include his responsibility to care for all of the animals that were going to make their home right there with him in the garden. Adam was to see to it that harmony, harmony remained among the animal life and that a perfect balance was sustained between the creatures and their food source now I don't know about you but when I get hungry I get cranky just who I am Uh, I don't like being hungry as you can tell (laughs) and I don't go hungry for very often I like my food And animals, uh, when they get hungry, they get cranky too. And so if Adam's not doing his job, it can create chaos that wouldn't necessarily have to be there if he took care of the situation. So he's got a responsibility to see to it that harmony remains because he's going to be tilling the ground, he's going to be planting seeds, he's going to be doing all this work to make sure that there's food to feed the animals. To keep harmony. It's a big job. It's a big job. So we see Adam becoming the first farmer as well as the first uh, animal husbandry operator in history. He did it both, he did it all. I think we're able to see that Adam was getting set up to be a very busy boy. This was a huge responsibility to take care of the grounds. Just to take care of the grounds itself would have been an incredible uh, responsibility. Uh, From what we know, the garden was a pretty large place. It wasn't just a small little patch. It was a large area, contained a lot of trees It had to, to, to take care of all the animals. So it was a big place. It's a big responsibility just to do that. But then he had the care of the animals on top of that. And so far, there was only one of him to carry all of that out. It was just all on Adam's shoulders. That responsibility was just his. Now, I want us to look up Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15 real quickly here. We're going to read Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 and then we're going to read Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 28 and then Genesis chapter 2 verses 16 and 17. So in Genesis chapter 2 verse number 15 we read this last week and it says and the Lord took his took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Okay, those are two responsibilities that are his. Verse number 28, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And then finally, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. These verses that we've just read, these commandments that God gave to Adam... All of these reveal a significant picture of what the relationship is to be based upon between God the Creator and Adam the Created. They're going to tell us about this relationship that's supposed to be developed between God and man. God, as Creator, owns everything that He has created. Does that make sense? If he creates it, he owns it. It's his. He's got the rights to it. It all belongs to him. Adam, as just one of the creatures that he's created, therefore also belongs to God. God owns Adam. God created us, so guess what? God owns us. As the owner of everything that's a part of the earth, God chooses to do something special with Adam pertaining to what his connection's going to be with the rest of what God's made on earth. He's going to do something special with man. That he's not done with the rest of the creation. Adam first was to exercise dominion over every creature that had been made. All of that was his domain, meaning that he was in authority over everything that God had made secondly Adam was to subdue the earth he was to subdue the earth I looked up the word dominion because Adam was to exercise dominion over every creature and dominion is radah and it means to subjugate to reign or to rule over so Adam was meant to bring the animal life under control or governance as a leader would do to his subjects. He was to make them submissive. He was to exercise authority and cause them to submit to his will. I looked up the word subdue, which he was to do to the earth, and that is, kabash means to conquer, to subdue, to bring in subjugation. Very similar to what he was supposed to do with the animal life. This implication is the overpowering of something which offers resistance and it causes you to bend that something to your will. To make it do what it doesn't necessarily want to do. He's supposed to subdue it. So Adam was to exercise rulership over all creatures on earth and bend the ground to yield up her nutrients in order to sustain all animal life with nourishment. That was his job. That was his job. Now, this dominance that was to be placed into the hands of Adam was to be governed by a special ordinance which God established. And while that Ordinance is not specifically identified for us in the Scripture in this setting, we will discover that it was nonetheless implied by God. Okay, so we're going to look at that a little closer here. That unspecified ordinance had to do with the responsibility of, that was going to rest upon Adam's shoulder concerning the proper use of the power or the authority that he had been granted, that had been granted to him by God. How many of you know that power and authority can be very dangerous if it's put into the wrong hands, if there's no rules governing that, if you have somebody that takes power and authority upon themselves and they don't feel like they have any other authority to to. Uh, to oversee them you all you have to do is look around in our world today and that's exactly what's happening you've got people in positions of authority and power who don't think that they have to talk, or they don't have to uh, report to anybody, they can do whatever they want to do and things get out of hand real quick but we're going to find out here that when God gave this Authority and this power over to Adam, he did so with strings attached. And thank God he did. Thank God he did. The subject that's uh, relative to what constituted this proper use of authority was not open to Adam. For him to interpret for himself. Instead, it was to be understood that its proper use was to be determined by God. God was the one who was going to establish the guidelines, not Adam. It wasn't up to him. Remember, God owned Adam. So Adam couldn't just go off on his own and do whatever he wanted to do, he had to be governed. And once again, while it's not specifically expressed by God, I believe that it was revealed to us by the way that these instructions which Adam had received from God uh, were given to him regarding his job description. We know that Adam was in charge of food production through the tilling of the ground. We already talked about that. He was to farm... He was to be in charge of maintaining order among the various animals that were going to be living with him there in the garden. He was to exercise authority over them. And he was to care for the trees and to prevent them from being damaged. He was to be the caretaker of all the properties. Did you notice that everything that Adam was expected to do as a part of his purpose had a direct effect upon all that he was to oversee? there wasn't anything around there that his hand didn't touch. That his governance didn't cover. covered everything. He was to till the ground, plant the seeds, produce a food source for some of the animals that needed that particular type of food. He was to protect the trees which were a food source of some of the other animals and he was to keep the animals out of the garden that he had planted in the garden and uh, to protect them, to keep the animals out of, uh, out of that garden that weren't supposed to be there, that had no business being there. And he was to watch over the animals in order to prevent them from being injured and to keep harmony. And it's from this list that I believe we can see emerge a most important principle which has in it two factors that are destined to be used to assist Adam in his efforts to fulfill his purpose. Two factors, two points. One of the factors that are found in the principle that was a part of God's instructions to Adam involving his purpose was that power or authority comes with a great cost to the one who holds it. Power or authority comes with great cost to the one who holds it. The great cost involved has to do with the fact that the power being held or the authority being exercised, and I need you to hear this, is never to be used for the direct purpose of benefiting the one who is holding it. Man, has that gotten messed up. But that was never God's intention. The purpose for authority is not for the person that has it. In other words, the boss isn't to be thinking about the boss in every decision he makes. His focus is to be elsewhere. Always elsewhere. Never upon how can I make it so that it affects me in a positive way. The boss doesn't even enter the picture because it's not about the boss at all. That's the cost. That's the cost. That brings us to the second factor that's found in the principle. It's related to the first factor, but it expands the scope of this principle in this way. The true purpose for the establishment and use of authority or power is to be for the means of making the lives over which the one in authority presides better. That's the purpose for the authority. To make life better for everybody, not just the boss. And it's not that God has it in for the boss. Because the boss will be blessed if he does his job. In fact, everybody will be blessed if the boss does his job. But when the boss doesn't do his job like he's supposed to do it, everybody suffers. There was a little sign that used to be on the desk of President Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, said the buck stops here. Why? because he's the boss. And that meant if the problem existed, it was probably because he wasn't doing his job. So Adam needed to do his job. There is a reward that can be enjoyed by those in authority whenever the principle that's governing his or her conduct in the process of fulfilling that purpose placed upon earth has been uh, observed by them. If the needs are attended to on a regular basis for those under the care of, of those that are assigned over, uh, are assigned to them to be their overseer, it will lead to the production of goodwill on the part toward their authority figure. If this boss fulfills his obligation toward those that are under him, he's going to find some blessings. He's going to find some good things happening because those who are under him will begin to have a better appreciation for their boss. Why? Because he genuinely cares for them. And they know that. It has been proven countless times that if you have a boss That genuinely cares for you as a worker. You are more inclined to do everything you can to be more productive, to be more beneficial, to be more helpful to that boss and it doesn't even have to be about pay. Pay doesn't even really matter. It's the fact that he respects you and you will respond to that because he's doing his job like he's supposed to be doing. He's concerned about his workers. And suddenly, the whole thing works. There's a company that my son-in-law works for. And it is a company that has based its work ethic on that very basis. The people are included in the decisions that the company makes. Everything that's going to affect them, they have a say in it. And it's not just that we'll listen to you, but we're going to do what we want to do. They actually listen to the people, and if they have, uh, if they have anything, that a suggestion that might make things better, they will implement it. They will do it. They reward them for good work. They, do all, they don't have a turnover rate. People don't want to leave there. That makes sense to me they treat their workers like they should be treated. And the effect is, it's a great place to work, and nobody wants to leave there. It's like a family. So there are blessings that come when a boss does his job correctly. It can generate peace among all. How many of us would really love to enjoy peace? I'm not just talking about absence of conflict. I'm talking about peace. Peace. It can happen when the leaders are doing their jobs. Why do you think we're having the situation we're having today in the political world in this country because somebody in authority is not doing their job. The buck has to stop somewhere and it's with the people who are in authority it, it's gotten completely out of control and you can see the results when that happens. We're living it today. But peace would be so wonderful if we could experience that even in our nation. There will be produced an attitude of respect by the subjects toward their authority, resulting in willing submission on their part to aid him in his purpose. Why do you have people that are rebelling against the system, rebelling against the government, rebelling against things that are... Because they're not doing their job. And at, one, and at some point, people are getting fed up with it and they're going to be tired of it. And something will have to change. But if we could just just get folks to do what they're supposed to do, who are supposed to be in leadership that could all be solved praise God unfortunately our world has not been allowed to be ushered into that particular experience since the time of man in the garden of Eden ended it started all the way back in the beginning this isn't something that's just peculiar to us in this day this is something that's been going on since the beginning. The beginning. Instead, from then until now, these truths that we just spoke about have been forsaken. They've been tossed aside, replaced. Men have taken that truth, misinterpreted it, and turned it completely around. They've chosen to do exactly the opposite of what they were created to do. And man, what a mess. The new model that's been followed by the powerful throughout our history has become this instead. Everyone under their authority is in that position for the express purpose of making life better for them. The underlings exist for the pleasure of their lord or master. Instead of it being so, uh, instead of it being as it should be, and that is that the Master exists for the betterment of those over whom they rule. What a messed up perversion to the plan of God for mankind and his domain. We can see how that design has worked out for us, can't we? Not so hot. Let me just throw in here just this little thought and that is that nothing that mankind chooses to change which has been given to us by God will ever turn out better than God's way of doing it we can ignore God's plan we can ignore what he would prefer us to do we can choose to do that and we've been doing that But when we try to put our plan into play that's in direct opposition to the plan that God has instituted, and it doesn't matter what it is, it's never going to turn out better. God's plan is the perfect plan. What God has set in order is perfect for us. Because that's who God is. He is out to make life better for us, not worse we're the ones who's messed that up What? we try to blame it on God well you know if if God's supposed to be all this loving God then why is all this mess happening <laughs> because you're not doing what he's asking you to do <laughs> you've inserted your plan into things that's why it's messed up you kicked God out and told him you don't want him around well, you know what Okay. If that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. He'll back away. We kicked him out of our schools. We kicked him out of our government. We kicked him out of everything. So then we want to blame him. He's only doing what you ask him to do. He can't win. You don't want him around, and then when he's not around, you wish he was around. So, you know, make up your mind. You can't have it both ways. Nothing will ever be better than the plan of God. Amen. I don't care how Amen. brilliant you think you are or how far, uh, how, how impressive you have thoughts and, and uh, actions that are, you just got, everything's going to be better because I know the answer. It'll never be better. It'll never be better. Never. All that we've been talking about up to this time has been a process to bring us to a special understanding about ourselves. Everything that God revealed to us in Genesis chapter 1 and over to Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 15 tells us how we began and that we were created for the specific purpose of participating in a management process that we know as stewardship. 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 Let's talk about that for a while. This process called stewardship. Perhaps one of the most difficult concepts for us to relate to is that of stewardship. It doesn't register with us. It really doesn't. It's a foreign concept to us. Especially when it has to do with our relationship with our Creator and His will and His plan for our lives. You know, living in America can cause us to be disconnected with the true ideals of what it means to be considered a steward in the service of God. We don't live in that kind of a society we don't live with that concept about that's who we are and when we think about being a steward for God one of the things you have to understand is that a steward being a steward is not an occupation Being a steward is not an occupation. It's not a job description. It is instead a state of mind. It begins right up here. And until it happens right up here, it ain't gonna happen. It's how we think. It's how we view. It's how we look at things. And until that changes, there's no stewardship. It has to change up here in our thinking. The whole thing with stewardship is radical with us as Americans because stewardship is all about the relationship which is between a master which is God and a servant which is us we have been raised to believe that being a servant is not is the last thing you want to be how many how many teachers try to teach you how to be a servant. They don't want you to be a servant, man. They want you to be the master. They want you to be top dog. We're going to train you and we're going to pump you. We're going to prime you. We're going to get you set because we want you to be top dog. Have people underneath. Let there be other people underneath you. They can be servants. Not you. We want you to be big cheese. From the time we are toddlers... That's ingrained into us. I don't want my kid to be a servant. I want him to be a master. I want him to be telling other people what to do. I don't want them telling him what to do. Isn't that the truth? That's what America's all about. Let the other guy be the servant. We want to be the master. That's the whole culture of America. It's geared toward being the master and not a servant. We crave being in control. I still struggle with that. And I don't think I'm the lone ranger. We struggle with that. We cite the canon of mankind's mantra, at least it is here in our country. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my ship. I go where I want to go. I do what I want to do. I'm my own master. Nobody tells me what to do. Baloney. We like to think that we'd like to believe that that's the case that no one rules over me the problem with that brand of thinking about ourselves is number one that it's going to promote the sense of selfishness it inflates our self worth in our eyes it helps it to become everything is all about me All my decisions are centered around how's that going to affect me? It changes the way we see, the way we think about everything else and everybody else. This way of thinking is in direct conflict with what our efforts are to portray in stewardship. Because stewardship's exactly the opposite. There can be no such creature as a selfish steward. Doesn't exist. If you are selfish, you will not be a steward. And if you are a steward, you will not be selfish. There's no mixing. You either are or you aren't. A steward is someone who is placed in charge over another's property. It doesn't even belong to them. And this has been done because that person has over time displayed the quality of selfishness Selflessness, not selfishness, selflessness. Meaning that they are genuinely looking out for ways to help others. Their concern is for the benefit and welfare of others. They don't even consider themselves. That's not part of the equation. And they do this not for selfish reasons. Such as in order to benefit themselves. I'm going to do this for you because I know that when I need it, I can call in my favor. And you're going to owe me one. Now that's the American way of doing it. You only do something for somebody else when you know it's going to come back to you in a good way somewhere down the road. You know? Well, I'm going to help them move this weekend because, you know, a few months down the road, I'm going to be calling them up because they're going to come back and help me. I'm just being honest here. Sometimes that's the way we think. We don't mind doing something for somebody else because we know it's going to come back. And you know what? And, and we say this a lot and it's because it makes us feel good when we give we talk about giving if you give God's going to pour it back to you and bless you we should give regardless if we never get a dime back from it it should not matter if we're stewards because that's not the reason you're giving so that you can get something in return but we do it Why? Because that's what we're geared to think. It has to change up here and in here. And we've got to quit. And I want us to pray today that God could help us begin to wrestle with this concept of stewardship until we are victors in it. Not the flesh, not the fallen man, but the Christian, the disciple of Christ. That's the example. There was never a greater steward than Christ. He taught us how to do it. He was the most selfless among us. I want us to pray today that God could help us to look at His example and have a hunger and desire to mirror that every day of our lives. And it's not going to be easy. I'm not telling you this is going to be an easy fix. Because we're talking about a lifetime of going the opposite direction, a lifetime of operating in a totally different direction. But that's got to change. It's got to change in us. Let's pray. My God today,